podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommy's. We're recording this one after a Liverpool win, a very rare event these days, I think. So whenever you're listening to it, let's let's hope it's the first of many. I'm Jim Boardman, and again, there's three of us. So I'm with Jay Reid again, and with Tony Evans again. And um, yeah, we have just won, but maybe, maybe, maybe we just need to have a little bit of getting stuff off our chests if we've still got anything left from, from the weekend game, from just before that. Um, arguably... Arguably, certainly what Klopp thinks, the worst game under him. I remember thinking the same thing on Saturday night when, when we were talking about it on Anfield Index Raw, post-match Raw. Um, Tony, do you think, is that is that the worst game under Klopp? Oh, it's got to be, be up there, hasn't it? I mean, I can't remember too many as bad stuff. It was absolutely appalling, wasn't <laughs> it? I was sitting there watching it going, hang on. And, you know, I mean, right, I know the midfields was awful, but, you know, what were the full-backs doing? And the centre halves, no Van Dyke's out. The centre halves, you know, I mean, massive, what brain fart. And then, you know, the, the forwards, well, I mean, uh, they're least to blame. But, you know, you'd think, you know, Salah maybe hasn't been quite at the level we might have expected after having time off from Qatar. And, uh, well, no wonder, you know, the supply he's getting. But it, it's all just, no, it, that was probably. One of the ugliest performances I've seen in a long time. Yeah, it, it was. It wasn't. In fact, um, on Raw, um, Dave compared it to another game that's um, sort of stuck in the memory. A really dark day, and we were wearing dark kits that day. You might remember it well, Jay. The last game against Stoke, um, the last game of the season, one of Brendan Rodgers' last games as manager. Um, it felt like that. Yeah, it was. It was and it was half expected. I think we spoke about it last week, and maybe we willfully said we would have took a draw. Um, and by God, if we had been offered it now, we would have shook hands and ran back from the Amex ourselves. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was pretty evident after all five minutes. You know what they were going to do. Um, it just cut us apart. We were we were just too slow, second, third to everything at times. Um, just. Didn't seem to adapt at all, and you know, Klopp is not for one of not being blamed here because I thought maybe his tactics on the day would have been a bit different to what we normally would do. Um, Thiago just seems to be put out there like a lollipop man, seems to let people go past him all the time, and then leaving <laughs> Henderson and Fabinho in midfield, who were basically chasing shadows with Caicedo and McAllister and Gross and whoever else was in there. Um, it, it did stink of you know, the, the Stoke. 6-1 defeat, but you know, the, the only thing you can say different to that is, you know, Rodgers, the writing was on the wall for a long time, and it's, it's certainly not with Jürgen. Um, and it, that was just like a watershed moment, and hopefully, you know, like, 
you'd like to think it kicks the lads up the arse, but we've had a few of these this season and that that's the worrying thing. It's like, you think, can it get any lower? Mm, probably not. And then we'll sort of pick it up for a couple of games and then we'll have one of them again. Um, it just seems to be one of them years. And yeah, I know we've got a, a win under our belts, but then we've got to go back to Brighton next weekend in the FA Cup and then can't say I'm looking forward to that one either. No, no, it's like this little Brighton Wolves nightmare thing that's going on at the minute, this like recurring nightmare. I mean, we did beat Wolves, but even then, I mean, it was a great, much better performance and I think much better attitude from the players on the pitch. A lot of them younger, not counting James Milner. Um, much, you know, much more healthier attitude, I would say, from the players than what we saw on Saturday. And some questions I've heard people asking is, and certainly after the, after the Brighton game is, um, have the players stopped playing for Klopp? Because that's what everyone said after that incident, after that game with Rodgers as manager back back against Stoke, that basically he'd kind of, as the, as the old saying goes, he'd lost the dressing room. I don't think that's happened with Liverpool yet, but is there any um, is there any chance that maybe the first signs of that are happening under Klopp, do you think, Tony, or is that just a little bit sort of, um, are people sort of clutching at straws and just trying to find some reason for whatever the hell's going on and maybe not hitting the right target? Well, it happens to everyone, doesn't it? I mean, you know, if you, you know, the number of executives and football clubs I've spoken to over the years, including at Liverpool, have said, like, you know, there's a manager, he does his thing to the um, to the dressing room and the players, and it starts falling on deaf ears. You know, they've heard it all before. And it takes a brilliant manager to actually to change it up and shock them. Shankly could do it. Klopp can do it. You know, it's, um, and he's proved to you, if you last seven years in the club, you've got a bit of that about you. You know, you can make them believe when they stop listening. So, so, but there's always an element. But what you need to do to make that work properly is freshen up the dressing room, get get new players in <clears throat> who are wearing this stuff for the first time, who are going to respond to it, and we'll gee up the others. And perhaps we haven't done enough of that. So, I mean, there is always an element of that. I, I think there's, um, you know, there, there was one point in Klopp's tenure before it all kicked on, you know, before they, before they signed um, Van Dijk, before um, be, before Andy Robertson and um, the, the, the Trent effect kicked in. You know, when senior players, you know, um, who now... Talk about like oh you know like you know not, not for one for one moment did I ever like lose belief in Klopp. We're going around saying basically this one's not going to Plan B. Mm. I don't know whether whether it's going to happen. So you know it, it it always happens and everyone changes their minds. That, that's not criticism of a couple <laughs> of the people who, who were doing that. But there's always going whenever the, you're on a bad spell of results, doubt creeps in, suspicion creeps in, finger pointing you know happens, and it's happening a bit now and. Klopp's job is to get them out of that. For me, the most important thing, really, in this situation is that he's got to get them a tactical setup they believe in because, certainly, against against Brighton, it, it just... It's, it's, it's one of them. We've been doing this now for five years. Everyone knows what we're doing. Everyone mm. sets up to stop it. So, you know what? You either do it with such absolute brilliance and dare them say, come on, fuckers, stop us. Yeah, and and Andy Thompson, you win, and that's brilliant. Or you try and do the same thing, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, seen us all before. Yeah, this is fine, but this is easy." And we've reached that point now. So somehow he's got to he's got to galvanise the dressing room. But I think he's got to change either the shape 
or the personnel in the team. And it's all right to have the kids coming through, like against Wolves at Molyneux, and they did really well in an FA Cup game. But you, you can't put that pressure on young players um, in, in this sort of environment. And let's face it, Liverpool is a pressure cooker, especially when it looks like they might might get in the Champions League and you've got all the uncertainty over the takeover in the background. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, Harvey Elliott, I think, against Wolves showed signs of how good he can be. But the fact is, earlier on in the season, I think we were kind of relying on him a little bit too much. And in the end, it becomes, I don't know, it takes away that impact you have as like a young player. You come in and you do really well. And, you know, you just sort of just got to balance it out. I mean, I, I did wonder sort of like what's happened to our Michael Owen and Robbie Fowler production line that we used to have all those years ago. That feels like that's what we could could do with getting as well at the minute. Because, I mean, these, a lot of these young players aren't, our young players either the kind of we we found them which is still fine it's still a good way of getting some talent in without spending over the odds but um i mean something i i was wondering as well is is how how brentford and brighton and wolves can find these players that that aren't anything like the kind of money that we spend and yet they they do a job and i'm not saying um I mean, people wouldn't be happy if we went out now and spent, um, you know, a few million quid on some player. And the idea was that at times like now, when people are out injured or people aren't performing, that that can, he's the kind of player who could come in and hopefully do something for us as a sort of backup player. That I think there'd be a lot of out, out, outcry now if, if, if Klopp went off and spent 30 million on a, on a handful of like lesser players that were meant to be squad players that were meant to just come in when times were tough. But. I don't know what you think, Jay. Is it is it time we actually did spend some money on on those kinds of players? If we've not got the money to go out and buy three fifty million pound players for the midfield, do we need to go and spend maybe thirty million finding some people who can help out when times are tough like now? Are you that person who has everything, the coolest merch, and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. I don't see why we can't. Um, by all accounts, we're not skint. <laughs> um, <laughs> which, which would be led to believe by many others, but you know the, the finance figures say we're not. Um, I think like what we've become accustomed to under... Klopp and you saw the recruitment team is players in that thirty to forty million pound mark. Like we've hit it so many times, it seems to be our sweet sauce. It seems to be the the market of player that we target. Um, so like yeah, you think like well, let's just throw one name out there: Jude Bellingham, hundred million, hundred twenty million, or whatever. Or you go and get three players who are around the forty million mark who may just actually be better off for your squad and your team as a whole. And I'm not saying I wouldn't have Jude, of course you would. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, the way we operate, you might have to look at the bigger picture and just say, well, for the midfield, for example, we're losing three or four in there in the summer. Would it be a, a better thing to get three or four bodies in who, you know, can do a collective job 
and ensure that you know we're not suffering players out all the time with injuries, players who are more durable, players who are probably at a, a more prime age of 22 to 27, where we are going to get the best years out of them. Um, not again, not saying if, if you comes in and we've got money to, to spend elsewhere, that'd be great, but. Uh, I don't see why we can't pick up a midfielder in that price bracket. You look at some of the ones who have come to the Premier League in the last 12 months and you know the star names that stand out in that price bracket are Bruno Gimenez at Newcastle, uh, Lucas Paqueta at West Ham and uh, Mateus Dunez at uh, Wolves. We were all sort of you know, aware, probably, if you, if you watch European football, of, of these names out of the other European clubs of you know Europa League maybe Champions League group stage standard and we would never sort of well, I don't think we would ever sort of in with them um, to, to be signing them and you look at what they've done for those clubs in the Premier League especially like Bruno Gamera's at Newcastle I mean he'd be a revelation in our team and it's, it's everything we're screaming out for but you know we've let it slip through our hands maybe they've given a big bag of cash because that's what they've got maybe they've you know lured them in with the temptation that you know you come here for two or three years and the offer comes from a bigger club and you can go. Who knows? But we, we do seem to have just missed a trick and there is players out there. I don't I don't ever buy the line that, you know, there's there's never a player out there for us. Always, we have to wait for the right one because the right one might just not actually come. So if that was the case of two and many in the summer, then there surely has to be a backup for someone. And, you know, we're, we're paying the price for it now in terms of our lack of sort of mobility and legs in the middle of the park and it, it is a bit annoying to see players who we could have got actually performing elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what your feeling is on that, Tony, but also I'm just wondering, even if, even if I mean, say it's our policies is just avoid making that kind of signing. We just want players who can come in and play in the first team as much as possible. But if, if, that, if that isn't our policy in that and if it's just, is it down to a case of our scouting network not being as good as it should be? I mean, years ago, when, when Bob Paisley was manager, for instance, we wouldn't all be about the big money signings, the, the Kenny Dalgleishes for £440,000, which sounds like pence by nowadays. There's players on more a week than, than Kenny's transfer fee was. But you know, that, they were the kind of headline big, big money signings kind of thing, although he was still cheaper than what we've got for uh, selling um, Kevin Keegan. But it was all these kind of like... Finding the likes, well, finding the likes of Ray Clements from Scunthorpe and Kevin Keegan from Scunthorpe and plays like that 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 were from sort of way further down the league, but we spotted something in them as a, you know we had we had a network of people who could find talent and we brought it in without paying over the odds and we made them we made them into international stars and so on. Is have we have we lost that now as a club? Are we sort of looking in the wrong places? Are we almost sort of getting to a stage where we're just seeing who's trending on Twitter and looking for some of them? Well, I think there's an element of it's changed in that sense. I don't think it's quite that bad, but I get what you're saying. It's a sort of exaggeration I make for comic effects, so I agree with that. Um, but, you know, when you look at Wijnaldum, remember the squeals when Wijnaldum come, you know, he'd just been relegated, hadn't he? You know, and it's yeah. like, um, why would you want to buy him? And getting the right balance is everything. I mean, let's face it, that midfield, um, the midfield that served us so well, um, Henderson, Fabinho, um, and 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 Wijnaldum, uh, you know, I mean, n- none of them were particularly loved and heralded when they come. People thought we overpaid horribly for Henderson, yeah. and you know, and and you know, not not least the um, the ownership, um, you know. Uh, so uh, 
you know, Wijnaldum, I'd just been relegated. And Fabinho, it's, you know, it was a bit like you were wondering whether it, he was another Emery Shan because everyone would say, oh, he can play left back, he can play the midfield, he can play centre half if he wants. Yeah. And you're like, oh, where are we go again? You can't you know, play in so, any of those places. Is what you're bad in all of them. That's what you're trying yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's a, but I, I mean, they they turned out great. So I mean, and they were like, they weren't the most ridiculous money buyers. You know, they were, no. you know, sort of. So so I think we we still have that. I, 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 something's happened over the last couple of years where we, you know, I mean, they brought in Tiago, who was a proven, you know, obviously a proven player with buying and all that. But it's kind of the we 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 haven't really brought in the, the, the at least um, you know correct me if I'm wrong and I've forgotten a, a load of people which is abs- absolutely possible at my age but like you know there's no there's no Wijnaldum type players where are coming in and they're going to do a proper job for you but you kind of you don't realise how good they're going to be until they get into a good side. So and well, Andy Robertson is another good example. You know when when he come. I mean I remember. Speaking to someone who was, you know, sort of um, worked for another Premier League club, and and he was like laughing. He was going, "Yeah, Liverpool <laughs> are now in the same market as as Burnley because Burnley was trying to sign Robertson." And you know, and and when you think about it, he come in that summer. He didn't get a sniff really until um, until December, yeah. and you know, uh, Klopp was playing Marino, and Marino for God's sake. God. So it's like you know, so we we have done that sort of thing. But there the, the seems to be uh, seems to be a lack of that in the last couple of years. Or, or is that just me? No, I feel like yeah. I mean, we. I think the only thing I can think, the only player I can think of in a position I can think of where we've really kind of gone off and got someone who's not just decent cover, but it could um, definitely stand in if your main man's missing. To the point where there was even questions over he was the first choice. Was was Robbo's understudy uh, Costas, who Simicus has at times been a pretty decent player for us. I don't think we've paid over the odds for him. And he's a good find. And I think he's, a, he's he's exactly the kind of example of what I'm thinking we need. That, you know, if everyone's fit and firing and on form and all the rest of it, that Klopp's got a nightmare in front of him trying to pick an 11 to stick out on the pitch. And it's just going to be down to, you know, anyone who's played a lot recently maybe has a rest and that kind of thing. Well, that's the great kind of nightmare to have. But, yeah, from what you're saying, well, I can't just, think of anywhere just, else. <laughs> just, just, just as you're saying that, like, funnily enough, I was just doing my Anfield Index column, which um, which will be out on, uh, which should be out around now. I was a thought, um, <laughs> and and what well, I was thinking about that, and everyone talks about Trent playing in midfields and all that, you know, for years mm. and years. I thought to myself, like, well, hang on, actually, what we need in the midfield is energy, a bit of aggression, a bit of you know, sort of. Um, I mean, obviously, tactical nouns would be good, and this is where it might be a bit short answers. But I thought, wouldn't it be weird? Playing Andy Robertson in the midfield just as a little try, see how it worked. He certainly he provided their energy, and there at least we've got a solid backup in Simakas, who you know who's done a good job when he come in. The left isn't quite working anyway, you know. Since Mane went, yeah. it hasn't quite gelled on the left. You could try him in the midfield, and you know what? If he's going to hang around on the halfway line while Brighton score, he might as well do that as a midfielder or as a left back. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, like with Trent as well, the issue with putting Trent in midfield is then, do you still want Gomez at right back, or have we got someone else at right back? And then that's that's another load of questions in itself. I even think it was so bad on Saturday night. I actually thought maybe it's time we stuck Trent up front as well as on the right of a three, because um, we can't do any worse than the three we've had. Is what I was thinking at the time. Because no matter which combination we put out, we've never got. Well, it feels like. 
forever since we've had a sort of proper front three because of injuries and so on. And we've not really got, I mean, I don't know what Klopp's front three is going to look like when everyone's fit, but the thing is, at least when they're all fit, we'll have people to choose from. But midfield, it's, it's just frustrating. It's not, it's not down to injuries. And, um, I think Jay, you were just, just alluding to something then about Liverpool not being skinned. Cause is it, has it Deloitte done one of their rich lists again or something? Yeah, the light money league, it's, well, as fairly as we record. Um, and yeah, the money league come out and we're fed, um, behind, I think it's Man City and Real Madrid. Now, who would have had Man City top of that money league? You know, declaring mm. revenues 55 million euros greater than Real Madrid and 100 million euros more than Liverpool. Well, they've obviously um, got, they've got a lot of, um, big fans and things, haven't they? And it, it's a worldwide fan base, is, is it? Maybe. Yeah, maybe they've got a huge support in the Middle East. Um, you know, there's lots of people in them deserts. Um, or maybe they've just got some, you know, really, really good sponsorship deals that, you know, other people just can't seem to strike them deals with for for that massive amount of money. Um, but that that'd just be me speculating, of course. Um, yeah, I, I used to say like with Liverpool with sponsors, like you know, you're trying to get a decent a decent shirt sponsor, and you sort of this was going back a while. This is probably even before FSG came in, and you know, if why were we not getting the deals that you know, like when Manchester United were getting crazy deals for sponsorship, and we weren't getting anything near it. Well, who else was in to sponsor United? Why didn't we kind of get them? I mean, you don't really want their castoffs, but. There must be money there. And I always used to think, well, you know, we should be able to get that money. But I think it's pretty safe to say that whoever's, um, whoever Man City sponsors are, that nobody else, I don't think, would have got offered the same kind of money to sponsor a team as Manchester City would have got offered. No, but of course, their, their wage bill, I think, is roughly around the same as ours, which when you see the mass amounts of money that City players are on, um, again, that doesn't necessarily add up. Um, maybe I, you know, struggled at school doing maths, but um, I thought I done okay. My GCSE results said I okay, but clearly Man City have got a better, better accountant than I have. Um, what what it does suggest though is we're not skins by all accounts. Um, I don't know the ins and outs of accountancy and football finances, but you know, there's plenty of uh, podcasts and analysts and data out there for people to read and listen to that will tell you that we have actually got money in the bank, really. Um, and then you see stories coming out like, you know, we, we've spent our transfer budget on Cody Gappo. Now that, if it is a true story, is highly concerning that we've, you know, got a glaring massive hole in the middle of the field that we all now need addressing. Um, and there should be at least one midfielder out there who we could attract. Um, but we chose to send, spend our money on Cody Gappo. Now, nothing against the lad. He could turn out to be a, a shrewd signing and a great bit of business, but if that was what was offered. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable 
They're every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. To, you know, all Liverpool fans around the globe and said, like, you've got 37 to 40 million and you've got a choice between Cody Gakpo or a midfielder. I would bet me, you know, my life savings on the fact that 90% of them would have at least said, we'll go for the midfielder, thanks very much. Um, and it, it's just just a bit weird, um, you know, all the all these money numbers coming out, all these stories coming out, and then, you know, the the other stories tying in with the, the takeover. Is there a takeover happening? Is there a sale happening? No one seems to really know. There's conflicting reports. So I, there seems to be a madness at the weekend for, you know, the Qatar um, angle that, we, you know, all of a sudden we were being bought and it was all done deal and Qataris were having us and then a few days later it's been rubbished and it's not actually a full sale, it's a minority sale. And, and I think, as we, we've said before, none of us are non-really the wiser. We don't really know what's going on. Um, is silence a good thing in this case? I don't know. Um, maybe Tony's got some more insight than I have in terms of you know the goings on in the in the business side of Liverpool, but it, it just all dragging our you know our, our washing through the mud. Um, I, I can't mean, but that's not the actual term. I know there's natural. Um, <laughs> yeah. the laundry in public or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, rather um, than been... laundering your money, which you saw other people do. <laughs> 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 I've, been... Um, I've been I've been up early for work, so I apologise for getting that one muddled <laughs> up there, but. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this one. Yeah, well, I think, like, if you look back to when we were last going to be taken over by FSG in the end, like, there was nothing. You didn't hear anything about FSG, but there was so much other stuff going on. And as I'm sure Tony will, will remember, and we actually had, we, I mean, we actually had a message off someone on Discord asking us to look and talk about, um, the last takeover and all the whole saga around that. Um, Sean, um, got in touch with us on Discord. Please do that, by the way. Talk to us on Discord if there's anything you want us to talk about. So we thought we'll just have a quick talk about it this week and maybe do it in more detail next week because, you know, there's there's definite parallels between that takeover back then and the stuff that was public, the stuff that was private, the stuff that, that was just made up and then what's going on now. But I think I think the big the big difference between then and now is then there were people trying to buy Liverpool Football Club and now I don't think anyone actually is, are they, Tony? <laughs> Well, no, I spoke to someone last night who was very rarely wrong about these things. I mean, you know, absolutely brilliantly connected. And they said to me, there's no buyer. Um, and they were absolutely bemused by, you know, everything that's going on. There's mm. certainly no Qataris. And, you know, it's the wrong market for it. You know, if, if you're going to buy a football club, it's very much, uh, you know, the Fenway Sports Group made loads of money out of it. You know, they bought... He bought the pool. Everyone says 300, uh, 300 million, but that takes a lot of other stuff into. The reality is they paid 218 out of their yeah. own pocket, and they're probably going to get 3 billion when they eventually sell. So they have made loads of money, but the game's changed in the sense that they won't, you know, they, they, you, you're not going to come in in a, in a environment where Manchester City have and have the potential in the future to have limitless spending. And you're not going to come in and make money out of football in that, that sense. You know, it's being used for City, Newcastle, PSG are being used for different reasons, and they give they give their owners something that they can't get elsewhere. Now, most of the people who come in and buy Liverpool, unless we get bought out by a nation state, which strikes me as highly unlikely, given the geopolitics politi- of the Middle East, then, uh, you know, we're going to have people who, 
you know, who, who want the club to run, you know, and wash its own face and maybe take a bit of profit out of it. And it's hard to see who's going to look realistically at football as it is at the moment and do that. I mean, you, you, you know, you look at like the, the proposals, the new financial um, fair play proposals, which effectively are that if you if you overspend, you pay a tax, so you're getting fined for it. But yeah. do you think City will care about being taxed? You know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You want us to give you some more money or some more money? And yes, it gets distributed to, you know, the other clubs and all that. But, you know, by then they've got the superstar players. They've got the, you know, the, they've got the people they, they want. So it, it's going to be very difficult. So it, it's a tough sale for Fenway. And they, you know, they picked a bad time to do it, which strikes me as, as very, very weird. And then one, the other thing that happens, and, and Jim, you'll know about this from the last <laughs> time from Gillette and Hicks, it, the sales attract chances of all sorts. Yeah. And people, I mean, look at Man United now with this Jim Ratcliffe, you know, it's a, all this red knight stuff. Every time United uh, uh, moves up for sale, he pops up, gets himself a loads of publicity, and everyone goes, oh, you know, yeah, he's, he's got a sporting team, he's got Ineos, the cycling team. You know what? I'd be shocked. If he puts more than ten million a year into Ineos, yeah. and um, I don't know the figures, so there's probably a listener out there who'll correct me, and I'm probably absolutely wrong. But I'd be shocked if he paid more than that. And talking to a few cycling people, they seem to think, yeah, you know, twenty maximum. You know, United are going to take three billion on investments. Mm. So where, where's this money going? And so people can put PR and publicity for us. And sometimes, you know, as we know from. Um, from the, the the takeover back in 2010, sometimes the financial institutions who are involved, uh, well, frankly, lie to you and tell you things that, um, well, may not be true, or if they're true today, they become untrue tomorrow. Yeah. So it's, it's it's a whole mess. But the the mad thing about this takeover is that apart from a bout of Twitter speculation about the Qataris. I've I've seen no legitimate source, and I've spoke to no no contact that I've got who you know are obviously very very well informed. Who thinks there's any credible bias out there? No, and that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, I I know who you're talking about as well. Who um, who's, who's sort of known about these things for a long time, and um, you know says things that you find out about later on. You know, it sort of it all it all comes it all comes out later on. But the, and that's just basically. There's so much secret stuff going on, so much, so much that's secretive. And the thing is, if, if someone was, was a real genuinely interested buyer in Liverpool, the only way they get to the point, I think, where they print it all out into sort of a PR work, you know, through the PRs and trying to spread the word is when they're looking to kind of force someone's hand or just, you know, frighten someone else off. But then likewise, it's, it's much like it is with transfers, isn't it? You know, you get a player that's getting a tiny bit of interest and all of a sudden, um, you know, maybe wants a new contract. And then all of a sudden there's interest that's appeared from some other club abroad. You know, um, Liverpool player wants new contracts. All of a sudden Real Madrid are interested in signing him. And so are some other clubs. And next thing you know, Liverpool are panicking if it works. And the agent's got, got what he wants then because he's got the new deal for his player and everyone's happy except the people who have kind of been used in this story. And I think this happens so much, but the, the chances that, the chances that were around, in 2010, um, it was unreal. They was, so, and the thing is, I think this is the other thing to add to this as well. At that time, they weren't just people who were like, I'll see you, I can wind up. These weren't the, kind of the equivalent of someone sticking a phone to the back of a TV set so that obscene sounds can come out on match of the day. These were like, 
there was lots of money being spent, wasn't there, to kind of get these names out there. And even if even if their goal wasn't to buy Liverpool, the goal was more to get the names known. They were spending good money to do it, weren't they? Oh, definitely. I mean, there was lots of that going on. And football is, is you know, gets you instant publicity and gets you gets you a lot of coverage in newspapers. So it's um, you know, so they'll always gather like flies to a honeypot or or the other stuff. Um, but like you know, that, that there's a distinct lack of that going on at the moment. So either Fenway are conducting very very covert discussions and um, and. You know, a mansion to keep is absolutely quiet, but there's nothing happening. And hmm. given that past experience has told me that no one can keep it absolutely quiet, uh, I suspect there's nothing happening. That's yeah, I agree because that's the thing. I mean, and the thing about the the city of Liverpool and and the city, as in the the financial place down south, um, is that news gets around, doesn't it? You know, it's um, forget what legal rules there might be on getting um, and sharing information and things on sales and things. There's all kinds of stuff gets around. Stuff gets overheard in in wine bars in London, I'm sure. Just if they, Do they still have wine bars in London? And, um, do you think I've ever been in a wine bar? I can't I imagine you. you talking to. Yeah, I just can't imagine that ever somehow. Not, not unless you're in there to kind of get it um, closed down and turned into a pub. Um you know, but yeah, it's it, it, things get overheard, don't they? And, and stuff, news gets around, and people let you know what they want you to know. And sometimes, I don't know. I've had people. I mean, the thing is, I've had people leak stuff to me, and they've, you can tell they've been fully expecting me to kind of mention it to people, and I say nothing. And then you can the next day, they're kind of sort of seeing if 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 I've said anything. You know, they were. I've even had people who've been angry with me um, for saying something. And it's like fake anger because they wanted you to, to release stuff and to let stuff out. And I think the thing that a lot of these people forget is that we all talk to each other. So that's something maybe we can go into next week. But that's why, because we all talk to each other, it frightens the life out of some people. And they end up doing dossiers on you, don't they? Um, so, you know, you've, you've got to, um, yeah, you know, you know, you're getting somewhere, you know, you're worrying people when they're writing dossiers on you, but that, that's funny. But, um, the, the, the bottom line is though, is that, I think, and I don't know whether whether you you two agree, but I think I've, I've worked at companies where this talk starts happening about maybe there's going to be some redundancies, maybe there's going to be a takeover, maybe we're merging with another company, maybe this, maybe that, maybe we're moving here. There's all the all these stories that go around the company, sometimes founded, sometimes unfounded, and what it does is it puts everyone in a position where. They're on edge. They're not. They're not working right anymore. They're, they're stressed. It just really messes them about. And instead of, you know, instead of going into work and doing the job and coming home and maybe doing a good job all day, they're doing. They're going into work worrying, worrying all day, coming home worrying, and the performance goes down. And um, I said it. I said it after the match at the weekend that the uncertainty I think is quite possibly one of the reasons why we're not doing so good as a team. Am I wrong, or is there is there anything in that? Because I mean, these players, as much as we make them out to be gods sometimes, they haven't, we don't think we're calling them that at the minute, but as much as we make them out to be these great people on pedestals, they're just human beings, aren't they? Totally. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it, it, it's one of those situations where whenever things are going wrong on the pitch, you can normally trace it back to to, to the boardroom you know, yeah. and, and issues behind the scenes. And, you know, certainly at clubs where... It's constantly wrong. For example, Manchester United after Ferguson left, you know, one of them. Yeah. Everton, for uh, well, since Kenwright got involved, 
you know, so so you can trace that. And, and clearly the uncertainty affects Klopp. I mean, because this is a man who's been fairly strident in his criticism of the state-owned clubs. Yeah. And, you know, you must be thinking, well, what happens if suddenly suddenly so the Qatari royal family pitch you up here? I don't see how it's going to happen because that's a, a load PSG face, but you know what do I do then? You know what do I do? I mean, do I look a hypocrite? Do I walk? Do I stay? You know, it's so there's loads of that going on. So yeah, it's um, it's it it, it creates creates fear and confusion, and 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 that's never good in any working environment. No, and I think I think I think Jay, I think I know you'll definitely agree with that, Jay, as well. It's just um, you just want to know what's going on, don't you? And I think. Would you send a message out to FSG now? To I would as well. Personally, I'm thinking it's time. You know, we say to FSG, look, are you selling or are you not? Just tell us one way or the other, and just um, you know, just make it clear. If the club's not for sale because you can't find a buyer, just tell us. And you know what? For once, I actually think you could lie about it. If you are quietly looking for a buyer, just keep it quiet. Just tell us the club's not for sale. You never know. You might even sniff someone out. It's, it, <coughs> excuse me. It smacks a lot of the place that I work and. <laughs> you know, um, a few thousand people work there, and you know, rumours will fly around the workforce in no time. Um, especially in today's so, uh, you know, social age, WhatsApp groups and forwarding messages and stuff. But what we tend to find is decisions obviously are made by those way up above our pay grade, and when decisions are made, we are the last to know. Um, and you know, that's reflective in terms of probably what is going on at Liverpool at the time. Um, if ever she are selling, aren't selling, you know, hoarding us out for the buyer or they're just looking for the highest price for the lowest percentage of any stake that they can get, we will be the last to know. Um, and sadly, as much as we might want an answer, I don't think we'll ever get one. Um, it's just the type of operators they are. I don't think you get their level of wealth without being so shrewd in business, um, sadly. But yeah, it would be nice if they just come out and said, like, right, okay, there is no current buyers on the market at the moment for a full sale. Um, but we are looking for a minority. At least then we know, you know, well, we are going to probably get some sort of investment from somewhere, whoever, whatever that might be. And at least then we know where we stand. And if they turned around and said nicely enough that, you know, this minority stake will be reinvested into the squad or the playing um, the playing side of things rather than you know the, the infrastructure of the ground or the training facilities which obviously they've they've done over the, the tenureship that they've had again would probably silence a lot of people and, and put a lot of people's minds at ease but that just seems probably too easy um, that's probably what we adore like in an ideal world but we don't live in an ideal world as we know you know answers from the top no matter whether it's football you know, your workplace environment or your government just tends to be absolutely non-existent and decisions are made well out of your hands, regardless of the actual effect it'll have on you anyway. Yeah, well, our government loves to say things and then say one thing and then do another, doesn't it? it um, yeah, I mean, there's been stuff this week about levelling up, um, how they want to make, you know, give everyone in the country a fair crack of the whip. And of course, yeah, it depends who your MP is, how much levelling up money you got by the sounds of it, which isn't anything new, is it? Um, I think the other thing as well with, with anyone who does want to come and buy Liverpool is that it's a hell of a lot of money to buy, to buy the club. And then you need money on top to go and actually invest in players and, and so on. And another thing that, that broke this week is that the bit of land on the corner of Anfield is kind of, trying to think where it is nowadays it's kind of opposite the the new club shop the big club shop that's much bigger than the one we used to have at the back of the cop back in the day um 
that's now no longer going to be a hotel. So um, again, that sort of just adds more to this idea that this isn't the right time to be selling a football club or buying a football club because, you know, all that sort of buoyancy and enthusiasm that, that you had that, you know, this club's getting so much bigger and bigger and bigger. The ground's getting bigger. My God, we need a hotel for everyone. That, that's gone. So, um, I just, it just feels like, you know, this, this, this season's a bit, bit of an odd one, but now, um, we've, we've just played Wolves. We did well. I mean, Interesting that a weaker team of ours basically beat them than the stronger team we put out in the in the first game. But the replay's done. We're through the FA Cup. But now it's back to the league, and it's back to another team with loads of money, isn't it? Um, Chelsea, because somehow once they got sold from the oligarch who owned them, um, you know, side swept, uh, side the uh, sanctions and so on. Um, still feels like there's something murky gone on there, but I don't know. Just something not quite right. But anyway, they're sold now, and the new guy has got loads of money to spend on plays by the looks of it. And um, you just mentioned it then, Tony, about the financial fair play. It just looks like it's just it's just not going to do anything. It's just not going to stop anyone. Reminds me of F1 when they were talking about um, Red Bull sort of overstepping the salary cap. You know, they didn't really get any sort of penalty for it. And Mercedes actually said, if they just get a fine, then we're just going to start breaking it ourselves because economically we might as well just get a fine. Um, and because we've got the money to spend, they're just not letting us spend it. And it feels like that with Chelsea, City, and the rest is, is this going to be sort of one of maybe one of our last chances to get close to them when the money really kicks in for them? Well, I mean, the one thing you can say about Chelsea at the moment is they're spending money really badly. <laughs> um, and you know they're, they're going through. It was very similar to when um, when Fenway come into Liverpool, and like they looked at you know British football, at the English football, and they went, "Oh, you know what? Everyone is stupid. We're cleverer than them all. Brilliant. We're going to be successful." And actually, <laughs> it turns out that they're not that clever. And so you know, so we're seeing that at Chelsea, you know, like the, the classic Baldy story that he come in and said to you know show two called the. Um, you know the, the the best setup as far as he could. You know he was concerned, and there's actually had twelve men on the pitch. You know, <laughs> and I know Rafa did that at Istanbul, but I mean the circumstances were slightly different. You yeah, know, he was so. a bit more stressed that day, wasn't he, Rafa? Yeah. So, so I mean, yeah. So I, I kind of I, I fear for Chelsea. You know, and because you know when you look at what's going on there, they're not being run very well. And I think that Chelsea, I mean, basically, Abramovich's money made Chelsea what they were. And um, and while they do have money in the short term, I'm not so sure the Americans are going to... Well, I know the Americans are not going to spend like Abramovich and commit to it. And if they, you know, it's... Um, let's face it, Abramovich had so much money, they could dispense with the idea of a manager, really. Mm. You know, that you, you could go through them and, you know, and, and still win, you know. And um, I, I don't think that these Americans are going to have the same sort of spending power long-term. And and if they're going to exert their influence on the managers, you know, I mean, over managers, well, it's it's a mess. I mean, they've, they've lost Tuchel. And say what you like about Tuchel. He's, you know, he's a top-class manager. Um, yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, we don't know about Graham Potter long-term. But, like, there is the, the, the faint smell. And, of course, uh, the Fenway didn't appoint um, uh, for him. Roy, but you know it's like he, he was appointed in that takeover period, um, and you know the, the, there's getting that faint smell of Potter being the modern Hodgson, isn't there? I hope not. I hope not. Mm. I hope he's all right. But you know, it's um, yeah, I don't think it's the wisest choice they've ever made at Chelsea. No, I think it's interesting actually that 
that Brighton are still really, really good. I mean, okay, we made them look, re- we could have made anyone look good last weekend, but that, you know, this is the other thing, the other half to that game against Brighton is that as bad as we were, they were really good. And even if we'd been at our best, I think we'd have, we'd have had a fight, a fight on our hands, or at least this we would have had a fight, wouldn't we? But we didn't fight. But this is, this is the thing, Potter's, Potter's left Brighton, but Brighton's still, still a good team. And it's obviously, I think we said on the last podcast, it's all, um, you know, there's a lot going on sort of off the field at that club that's right. And maybe that's, you're right. Maybe that's the thing Chelsea have not got. I know, um, I think the, the shot they're going to have as well, the new owners, I think, is that when you go and spend 80 million or something on a player and then you decide you're bored with him after a bit, that you can't just sell him for another 80. You're not going to get 80 million selling him on. If he doesn't work out, it's not going to be 80 million back. Um, you know, and it's, I think another thing as well about, I was thinking with Liverpool spending money is back in the day, um, people like Alex Ferguson, kind of built his team up bit by bit and I hate praising him in any way but you know sometimes you've got to a little bit he built his team up he used the kids and all the rest of it but once once he got a team that was doing well he basically just he knew he had the core of a team and he could just add one player for big money um like Wayne Rooney was like I think probably one of their only signings that year and he was a fortune uh Rio Ferdinand same kind of thing again just just spending big loads of money and I always remember thinking you know, that player could be injured after a month and you could not see him all season and you spent all your budget on him, but it worked. So, um, you know, this, my argument earlier on about, um, Liverpool maybe not spending all the money in one go. But, you know, there's a counter argument to that, but the trouble is we've not got that base squad. And that, that's what worries me more than anything is that it feels like there's a lot of investment going to be needed. Um, Jay, you, um, probably, I've had some run-ins this week. You've been back in work with our friends, you know, talking of investment and talking about not spending money well. Our friends from across the park, um, not only are they sort of struggling in the league, they've actually, they've actually, um, they've kicked off against the board properly, haven't they? Yeah. And you know what? My blue friend listened, um, <laughs> listened to the podcast when I come in the other day. He went, oh, I've got a bone to pick with you. Oh. Went, Go on then. He went, uh, you uh, using uh, some of our conversations on your podcast. I went, well, they're good conversations, clearly, aren't they? Um, so <laughs> it was, it was, it was down to the fact that Jan Moby had uh, reposted our our uh, latest podcast last week, and I don't even know how we had come across it. Um, but he said, "I seen Jan Moby and I seen your name, and sort of clicked on it, and then all of a sudden I was listening to you." Um, <laughs> But he said it was good. So, you know, if, if we're getting reviews from a Blue Nose saying we're, we're doing well when we're doing the right things. Um, and we're trying so, to be... We, 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 when we're laughing at them, it's in a sort of friendly way, really, isn't it? You know, we don't... Oh, we, we, it's, know. It's, all, it's all what gets said in work anyway. Maybe a bit, <laughs> bit more... Maybe a bit more twisted towards the red bias, but, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, he, I don't know. Uh, he didn't really want to talk about this week, so if he is listening, then he knows I'm talking about him. Um, but, yeah, the... Uh, the situation last week it did turn a little bit ugly. Um, you know, they, they even had the the nouse up fair place them to to remove some of the roadblocks of the uh, sort of roadworks that were going in, in the surrounding area and roadblock the players from leaving the ground. Which I think, upon Everton's terms as a club, was a bit of a schoolboy mistake allowing the players knowing, you know, all the hostility that was going to be at the ground to turn up in their own cars and then yeah. allow them to drive away like. You know, use your brain. Like you told members of the board, whether it was true or not. Like obviously to to stay away for the threats of headlocks and whatever. Um, just bring your players on a coach and then take them back to Finch Farm and let them go on from there in their own vehicles. I'm sure they can all 
you know, sacrifice an hour at a time so they can all travel to and from the game, um, you know, as one. But it, it is getting it's getting dark, and that's not just me looking out the window now at five to five and um, seeing that I probably should put the lamp on. Um, the situation at Everton is pretty dire, um, and if they're all honest with with themselves, which they, they tend to be, obviously, as we've said, when you get them on their own, you can have a genuine conversation with Everton fans. Um, they're actually really concerned that they are going to go down and the situation is not looking good. And, you know, last weekend's game for them was tagged as a six-point and an opportunity to, you know, try and get away from what were Southampton at the bottom of the league and and they beat them. They, they sacrificed the lead. Um, I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes and games consoles. Visit LibertyShield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. And then, you know, they've got West Ham this weekend, another team in the bottom three. And, you know, the record against bottom three teams, like they've lost to Southampton and I think they lost to, I think it was Forest maybe. And then someone else, Wolves, I think they got a point. I could be wrong in getting them the right way around, but... The teams in and around them, they're struggling. And I think Frank is now looking like he's on borrowed time. However, he will always get the support of the fans because obviously, as Tony knows more than anyone, like Bill Kenwright is a figure much vilified by Everton fans and it's not getting any better for him. And you kind of, you kind of fear for them in a little way because if they go down, I don't really see them coming back up for a long time. No, it's interesting. It's like they've, um, to me, they've taken a long time to realize who the real villains are at the club, if that's the right, that's the right word to use. It feels like they've kind of fallen into that trap of, um, you know, I mean, for example, Bill Kenwright always comes out like he's, he's the best mate of all the Everton fans. I mean, they, they went, they, they lent straight into that people's club stuff as well. And they love sort of playing, playing off against us. And, um, you know, I mean, the, the way Rafa's was misquoted with the small club stuff and all of that, lot, it all, to me, they've, they've kind of as a club almost sort of added, added to all of this sort of resentment, but now it's coming back at them. And the thing that I think about, about Everton, as you say, you get an Everton fan on their own, talk to them, you know, the, you know, it, it's, if you weren't talking about football, you know what I mean? You'd, you'd, you'd be getting on great with them. But as soon as you talk about football and you, you're just on your own with them, you get more honesty and you about, about the fears. And let's face it, we're probably more honest with them as well when it's just us talking to them about our fears, about our club as well. And to me, they've not, um, 
there's been almost like a, an allowance of this toxicity to build up. But at the same time, and maybe you'll know more than me, Tony, on this. I'm sure you probably will. I'm not 100% convinced that all the stuff they're saying about the hostility is not maybe a little bit exaggerated. And whether it is or it isn't, it kind of plays into their hands because all of a sudden they're making themselves to be sort of, you know, the ones who are hard done to in all of this, you know, as it's, um, you know, rather than accepting that that's the wrong way to go about it, but I can see why they're doing it. It's almost like, no, you know, we're great. Look at all you having a go at us. And I don't know. It feels to me like it's convenient that this stuff's come out, but may- maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, uh, seeing things around there, Tony. Well, unfortunately, we've dealt with football clubs who have, have, have made massive attempts to smear the fans mm-hmm. and, and journalists, you know, it's, um, yeah. and, and, and basically anyone they perceive as their enemies. So we've been there. So we know what that's like. I mean, I found it. I mean, you know, obviously you, you don't want to say, uh, you know, the, the line because no. you can't be sure. But I did find that, you know, in an environment when there's a lot of pictures, um, you know, sort of, there's a lot of cameras, there's a, you know, security is massive. I did I find it surprising that, you know, that this headlock incident didn't cause them to go to the police, didn't cause exactly. massive headlines when it happens. You're like, oh, okay. But, I mean, you know, as I say, it might have happened. I mean, I think there's a couple of things going on there. I, you know, I think Ken Wright, I, I, I think that there was a good piece by Simon Goodley um, in The Guardian. Which uh, which questions uh, Usmanov's role in the club, yeah. and basically we've been I've been writing that for a couple of years, you know, and and uh, you know basically saying that he has more influence or he had more influence than you would normally expect from a sponsor, mm-hmm. and Simon uh, approaches all the managers who have been um, contacted, who have been employed under the. Um, under the Mashiri regime, and it seems Usmanov was uh, involved in the interviews for six of them. Um, yeah. You know, it's, um, and and the the other one refused to answer the question, citing the confidentiality um, agreements, which makes me think that he was there as all seven. But again, mm. you know, you, you can't be entirely sure of that. But as I say, some of us have been suggesting for a long time that the relationship between Mashiri and Osmanov perhaps might, well, actually, it did look very good for Everton because Mashiri, uh, Osmanov is the, you know, the billionaire, properly rich and wanted to sponsor the club. And Mashiri isn't quite properly rich in the same way. Mm. So, you know, it looks as if it was good, but then the sanctions kicked in and Everton's major sponsor was hold beneath the, you know, the, the waterline, at least for a short time. One of the problems is that they haven't got the money in place to fund the stadium, which yeah. actually looks great. When I was home the other week coming down Everton Valley, I thought that's fantastic. You know, there it is, like at the bottom of Boundary Street in yeah. an area that really needs regeneration. And, you know, that's, that's the edge of what I consider round hers. You know, but Boundary Street was the, you know, the, the boundary, you know, sort of for, to, to what I consider, you know, uh, uh, you know, around there. So I was like, you know, I'd, I'd be made up if it gets there, but they haven't got the funds in place. And if they don't build it, they have to return it to the state they found it, which is even more expensive, which will put the club in real danger. You know, and, um, and I, you know, for all the, like the, you know, for all the abuse of Evertonians and all that, they, they completely misunderstand my stance. The last thing I'd want to see is Everton disappear. You know, the city needs them, and you know, and and, and the, you know, the area needs that stadium. It needs, you know, it would be a great bonus for them to 
to, to have it open and Premier League clubs come in and maybe get some transport and infrastructure around there, maybe even get some shops and things like that. And it, it'd make things so much better. But at the moment, they're in a very, very dark place and I don't see how they're getting out of it. No, and I agree. I mean, the stadium does look good. It's, it's. I mean, Anfield looks so good now. It's so, so much more visible from further afield. I mean, if you're ever coming like down the East Langs and you see Anfield from the distance, it's, it's a properly prominent part of the skyline from a distance now. And you know, there's other parts around the city where you see it. And you want Everton to have the same kind of recognition because you know what? That makes the city look so good. And it's a shame if that doesn't work out because. I mean, we talked for years about the regeneration that was needed at Anfield. It wasn't just about the ground; it was about the surrounds. And I think, you know, it just it just it just attracts more stuff. It just opens the city up to more people to come in and, and do different things. But the big issue I thought is 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 that is if if Everton can't afford to build it, there's not going to be anyone who can come and bail them out. It's not like the council can do that. Um, there's no money for the council to go and do that kind of thing. There's no sort of business plan, I don't business case the council could put forward, even if it had the money to say, oh, we'll finish it then, because it's it's just not on. And um, the other interesting one as well with the Osmanov link as well is, I think, when the sanctions kicked in, I'm using mentioning Formula One yet again, but they were sort of, there was a strong link between Haas and Russia. One of their drivers was was owned by the, was, um, the son of the sponsor and things, and, and everyone thought they were going to disappear, but although it obviously hit them losing the sponsor, the, the team's still there, and it's still going to be there next year and I think it didn't do, it didn't do any it wasn't any worse off than where it finished or anything so you know that that to me was a sign of a more arm's length sponsor that that maybe maybe that Everton didn't have but obviously time will tell the truth always comes out in the end but I do um I did I found it striking that the the statements that were coming out didn't talk about police advice they talked about security consultants advice and um it just all seemed like something wasn't quite right and I think turning it around on the fans like that if it's true that they've either made stuff up or exaggerated it it just adds more weight to to the need to get rid of them but at the same time I hope um Everton fans realize as well that that's exactly how people like that will um will try and put you down as fans is to try and you know make this stuff up and distract away from the truth because all of a sudden instead of people talking about how badly run the club is people are talking about whether or not there was an incident whether or not there was a headlock and all the rest of it I think um the sooner you get back to talking about the truth that your club's not been run well and hasn't been for a long time, the better. And I think as well, you'd have a lot of support from Liverpool fans, as much as we laugh and joke about it. Um, we, we, you know, God, it would be awful not having the derby twice a year, wouldn't it? It would just not be right if when you're walking around town, that there's, there's not like, uh, the sellers of stuff have to use half the stall set in red and half the stall selling blue when they're selling scarves and things. Um, and I can remember as well, we did a radio show um, a while back and we wanted to do a Liverpool show. There was absolutely no issue. They were happy to have us on. They wanted us to do it. Well, they said, we can't do it though. And so we worked out how to get an Everton one on because we just cannot, um, we have to have both clubs on. And this is the thing. It feels like this is it. You can't have one of the, one of the two clubs. Um, you've got to have both. Um, Jay, if you were, um, if, I mean, we, we talked about it last year that we just don't want to, as much as we'd laugh and we'd like to see him go down in some ways, we really don't want to see him go down. But as much as we're talking about them, we need to talk about us. So Chelsea this weekend, are you, um, you know, compared to last weekend against Brighton when you said you'd be happy with the draw, what are your feelings for this weekend with Chelsea? Are you thinking the same? Or is, are we going to bounce back? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know what? We're both as bad as each other. Um, if anything, they're worse because look at the amount of money they spent. Like, you know, 
Top boy seeing Super Ronaldo like a kid in Costco with like loads of money, like, oh, both <laughs> buy, I'll just have all the players. Um and you know, he's just doesn't seem to be relenting. I've just seen now that they're signing Noni Maduke, a PSV winger. I think from what I remember, he's a right sided winger, twenty years of age. Um he is English, but was cherry picked or released from Spurs and ended up at PSV and has come through um and shone pretty well there. Um so, you know, we just hoovering up any sort of talent he can get his hands on. Um, maybe, he's, so maybe he's using uh, Twitter gossip to find players, like I was saying before. Yeah, m- maybe so. And um, you, you just have to fear that this Mudrick kid he brought in, who's meant to be rapid, um, you know, if, he, if he's left-hand side. And we tend to have a little bit of an issue with, you know, Trent's ability sometimes of just tracking runners or leaving a little bit of space in behind. And that, kind of strikes me with a bit of fear and there was pictures today of N'Golo Kante in training because you know he's been brought out the cryogenical freezer that he's been locked in for the last three months because Liverpool are playing Chelsea and therefore he needs to be available probably to have the game of the season and then be out again um, <laughs> so yeah it, it, it doesn't fill me with with much fear um, I kind of think that maybe a draw wouldn't be a bad result, but we're at home, so we'd always hope that we do get a win. Um, maybe Darwin's back. I think we did miss him last weekend. I, I don't think we would have won the game. I don't think it might have changed the end result, but we had no presence up top, and that was not a slight on Cody Gapo. He was probably, what, in the door five minutes, and he's been lashed into a situation and has, has to do something. Um, but around the league, defenders are going to be looking at Darwin Nunes and thinking, he is a handful. No matter what you think of his finishing ability, he does threaten in behind. He does move all over the pitch, right side, left side, down the middle. He will cause problems. And I think if we can muster the sort of desire and heart that we had in the Wolves game and maybe you bring in one or two lads who did actually play in that Wolves game and you know mixed up a little bit and just say, like, look, if you thought your place was safe because you didn't play on Tuesday night against Wolves and you think you're back in the Premier League team, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to throw this lad in because this lad had a, had a stormer of a game and he deserves to share it. And, you know, it, it might rattle a few cages. It might actually shake a few people and give them a kick up the arse. And that might be what they need. But if you're offering me now a draw, I would probably shake your hand and take it. But I, I do hope we win because it's Chelsea. We don't like them. There's a lot of... Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff going on in the past and it's always nice to get one over on them and, and shut them up. And They're going to come with the usual tripe that away fans come with. More than anything, they come with a lot of tripe um, because of the part of the country they come from and the, the attitude that they have towards other people. Um, so, yeah, if we can get a win, I'd be delighted. I know we call them the plastic club and the pla- with the plastic flags and all the other stuff that we call them, but I always feel like our rivalry with them is like a plastic rivalry because... To me, it's more of a rivalry for them than it is for us. I don't know whether you've been like down there, Tony, whether you feel the same, but it's like, it wasn't a, like, we never had a rivalry with them as such, did we? They were just like another team, one of these other teams. And because of all the stuff once Mourinho and Rafa were in charge of the two clubs, we just like felt like we were playing them every five minutes. That's kind of when it all kicked off. But I, I don't feel like there's like a, it's not a proper rivalry, is it? Yeah, it's a bit like Forest, you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's here to take on tomorrow, you know, they're, um, you know, so, so while you're both in a successful period, you know, we ace each other. And to a certain extent, Leeds as well in the 70s. Mm. You know, I mean, it's, 
You know, it's not like United where, you know, that's, that's, you know, that, that, that's cast in stone, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's like, but yeah, I mean, you know, people talk about Chelsea being a plastic club. What, what What's interesting is I worked for them briefly in the nineties and, um, and, and there was lots of people there who, you know, sort of being employed in the Ken Bates era. And funnily enough, there's still plenty of them working there now. So right. it's, it's, it's why they might have got, you know, the, um, you know, the, the, the Tory politicians and the, you know, the actors and people like that, you know, the, the, that, them sorts of plastics. Funnily enough, at the heart of the club, there's lots of people who've been there, you know, for a long, long time. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and there's still a hardcore of support, you know, from the, the rougher areas of Battersea, let's say, you know, yeah. where, um, so I mean, you know, that they're, they're not completely plastic. It's just that the way they chose to present themselves, from you know, from Abramovich's boardroom, you know, and and certainly in relation to us, and um, so yeah, I, I, it's like, but I would hope, given the situation they're in, that we will be able to beat them on Saturday, and you know, I know Kante's back, you know, so you've got. You know, you've got Kante in there, and obviously we'll have Keita, you know, and the, the, the Crutchers Derby in midfield. You know, it's, um, you know, the, the Invalids Derby. I, I you know, so uh, I hope we'll have enough given that their, their state at the moment, you know. So it's, um, I mean, you can never tell what you're going to get from us, unfortunately. But yeah, I'm, 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 I'm quietly optimistic. Yeah, I'm I'm slightly optimistic because I think over the course of a season, like the best performances always from Liverpool are against the bigger teams. For some reason, if they played like that every week, we'd have won the league years ago. But like for years, it's been like we'll go and beat whoever's like winning the league and whoever's coming second. And we're down there in fifth and sixth, and we've just like because we've lost against the teams who are in seventeenth and things. And it's you know that that's the old Liverpool that I was worried was coming back when I saw what we've been like this season. But maybe not. Maybe we can we can put it all to bed. But if afterwards we need to drown our sorrows, or if before and we need something to help us out. Um, someone said to me on Twitter this week that there aren't really any fo- any pubs around Anfield. Um, well, the replies I got must... I mean, I don't know how many pubs got listed, but, I mean, there's pubs around Anfield. I mean, Tony, I mean, what, 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 what would you say was your favourite um, you know, couple that you'd go into before and after? I mean, there's so many, though. Yeah, I, I, I'm, to, be honest, to be honest, because I'm a, a bit of a beer snob, I like... I, I tend to stay in town and you know and mm. and um and drink there and get up there at the last minute. But there are loads of them, you know. I mean, you know, Taggy's place is worth going to. Yeah. Um, you know, it's um you know, the the twelfth man's always, you know, always lively. Used to be you know, solid, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's um so I mean the, the, there's always a ton of places to go to. I mean you know, they mightn't be um they mightn't be wine bar type of places, but you know, they're um <laughs> they are you know, the 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 proper pubs and you know so it's um yeah i think there's there's plenty of places i mean you know for me the best thing is like here uh, wait till the last minute stay in town stay in the mitre or you know or crafty over the road from it you know it's um on dale street jump in a cab up the grounds last minute and get in you know mr kickoff you know <laughs> <laughs> that's my my usual uh you know i went about 10 years about seeing kickoffs you know what? Sometimes, like you've, you've, yeah. I mean, there's, you've definitely not always missed much, have you? Um, very rarely score in the first minute, anyway. And uh, you need that. You need that that ale to get you through the game. Sometimes, um, I, I agree. You know what? There's, the thing about this pose around Anfield sometimes is it's all a bit 
mass produced the beer. Sometimes it's a bit rushed, and maybe that's the issue. Mm. But not as bad as inside the ground. If you ever get a pint from in the ground, oh, don't these magic plastic, don't, do not, do yeah, not do that. they fill up from the bottom. They can pour a pint in like half a second or something stupid like that. Um, but you, Jay, would you um, would you say there's no pubs around Anfield? <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would hotel only like taggy shelves and hotel mm. tier. I think it is next door, especially in the in the warmer months of the year, because they've got big gardens at the back. They tend to have a bit of music on, and yeah, you might you know just have to sort of go for the shorter queue and just buy from the lads who are just selling bottles. Actually, they work for the bar, but they're just selling them from little stand at the side of the garden, um, <clears throat> rather than you know getting your your bog standard pint. But if you just have to somewhere, you know, a little bit of atmosphere and know space than them sorts of places i tend to go either to the flat iron usually because yeah. um my girlfriend's brother um comes up from the midlands and that's where his coach drops him off um about two or three hours before the game so i tend to try and get up and sometimes catch if if there's a game on beforehand some of that if you know if we're lucky to have a three o'clock saturday kickoff then you know the earlier kickoff you sort of catch the second half and have one or two there and then you, you walk down the road and you can either go, you know, to, straight towards the cop end or you can cut across and go towards the Anfield Road end, depending on where you're at. Or if you're after the game, yeah, like the 12th man and stuff, you'll have a bit of music on and, you know, a victory always helps with the songs. But someone to say there's no pubs around Anfield, that is, no matter what sort of angle you're coming from, <laughs> there's, there's a pub pretty much on every corner. Um, so, yeah, unless you, you are after, you know, a swanky glass of wine, then you know you are probably in the wrong neck of the woods. You you probably do need to be in the the more swanky end of town, yeah, not the, even not even where Tony's going in the ship and Mice and stuff like that at the bottom of the house because there is some actually cracking pubs down there. Yeah, there's definitely some pubs where I wouldn't think it would be a safe idea to even ask for a glass of wine. Never mind, call it a wine bar. Um, <laughs> the other thing as well, I'll just say quickly as well on this is whether you're drinking in town or drinking around the ground. I'd say like look for the independent places because there's loads of good places run by good people and. Um, that's everything from the pie shop, the home baked across the road from Anfield to, to like Taggy's place and, and to the places in town, the decent pubs, because they're, they're run by real people. They're not run by corporations. And as much as like we love Liverpool and you kind of have this thing, or you've got to support the club, give them your money. Look, what are they doing with your money? They're not buying you any new midfielders, are they? So support, support everyone around and you know what? You'll get, you'll feel better. You'll, you'll drink better. You'll eat better. And, um, everything will be better. Maybe even the football will be better. And if it's not, well, it's not, there's not, there's only, there's a limit to what we can all do. But anyway, there are pubs, plenty of them, plenty of places to eat and drink. You don't have to do that in the ground. You don't have to pay Anfield prices for stuff either. So if you are lucky enough to go to a game soon, make sure you enjoy the before and the after as well as the game. Cause the game itself sometimes is only a tiny little part of your day out, a little tiny bit of the adventure. But for me, for now, I think that's it. Um, from me, from Tony, from Jay, this has been Scouser Tommy's. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you'll listen again and we will be back soon with more, especially with all this takeover stuff rambling on. So for now, see you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, 
we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.